0: We are live in the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark cast iron building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Tonight's event has been a long time coming. This was supposed to happen November 1st, actually. And as some of you may remember, there was a little hurricane at that time. So, unfortunately, we had to postpone the event. The good news is, tonight is that event. So, tonight we welcome Jim Kaplan, the author of The Greatest Game Ever Pitched, Juan Marichal, Warren Spahn, and the Pitching Duel of the Century, published by Triumph Books. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. (laughs) And it's really a a beautiful, terrific book, Uh, and I think if we could start off, I have a feeling most of the people in the clubhouse probably know, but some may not, and a lot of the people listening to the podcast may not, so if you could kind of give us, just to, to get us going, a little kind of Cliff Notes version of the game itself. Just so people understand where we can kind of leap from. Okay. Well, first, thanks, Jay, for making this evening
1: necessary, (laughs) as Yogi (laughs) Perra would say. Um, I love talking baseball in in April, and it really seems apropos tonight because tomorrow, 42, the Jackie Robinson story will be uh, opening in movie theaters all over the country, which I think even the younger members here know that this was something that far transcended baseball. It was really a major event in the social history of the United States, so I'm, I'm honored to be in, in that company, so to speak. Um, now, you may wonder why I got interested in uh, writing a book about a game that was played 50 years ago, on July 2nd and 3rd, uh, <laughs> 1963. Um, I've always been a nut for great pitching duels. I love the fast-moving pace, the zeros roped across the scoreboard, the scoreboard, the gathering tension and the all these games always seem to have great fielding plays and I really loved fielding I wrote two books about fielding and I even married a woman whose first name is Brooks (laughs) that that will tell you something but this game was really special I mean you had um Warren Spahn uh 42 years old who was who was already conceded a, a place in Cooperstown um and he was facing the uh, the Giants, San Francisco Giants, the same lineup he had no-hit the year before. And on the mound for the Giants was Juan Marichal, who himself had just thrown a no-hitter 17 days earlier against Houston, uh, which is quickly becoming one of the more infamous uh, spots for baseball in the, in the country, <laughs> as we're seeing this year. Um, game was played at uh, Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Uh, Departed not dearly. We were glad to see it uh, replaced. It's a very cold and windy place that uh, was made for pitching. So, you had, but it, these guys faced a real challenge. Uh, the, their, the Giants' lineup was loaded with Hall of Famers: Willie McCovey, Willie Mays, Orlando Cepeda, and the Braves had Hank Aaron and, and Eddie Matthews. So, no matter how good the pitching was, no matter how great. Um, the, the opposition it, it it was going to take something to to complete sixteen inning games as these starters did throwing two hundred plus pitches each in a game that that went past midnight and was ended by a, a single Deus Ex Machina moment or they might still be pitching now so there was there
0: was a lot to keep me going and uh, what I really enjoyed about the book is that it's basically a, a a dual biography, and the game is woven throughout the book. Right. So maybe if we could, I'll leave it up to you if you yeah. want to start with the old man or the young man. Yeah. But, so on one hand, you have Warren Spahn. He's 42 years old, as you said. He's a white American, a decorated World War II veteran. I think he won a Purple Heart, was, yeah. was honored with a Purple mm-hmm. Heart. Warren Marichal is Dominican. He's 25 years old. And, they're completely different, and they're also very similar in, in some ways. Yeah,
1: very similar. Um, Spahn was yes. left-handed and Marischal right-handed, but they had this tremendous leg kick, which uh, w- was kind of a, a personal uh, uh, signature of the way they pitch, and made it hard to pick up the ball coming out of their hands. Uh, and they've also both had strangely similar biographies that involved... Uh, a significant uh, experience with a family member and with the military. Um, Juan Marichal grew up in the Dominican Republic, and his older brother Gonzalo was his hero. Juan would get on a horse and ride it to wherever Gonzalo was was playing, and the game would end, and they both ride back <coughs> on the horse uh, with Juan quizzing Gonzalo uh, all the t- all the way back. Um, Juan. Uh, there was a pitcher named Bombo Ramos who was a lot like Luis Tiant, where he would, he would look several different ways and and come in with a sidearm <laughs> delivery, talking to the hitters all the time. That's when Juan decided he was going to be a pitcher. And he, he was a good pitcher, uh, but he probably would have just been a local pitcher if it hadn't been for the day that his local team played the Dominican Air Force team and beat them. And the next day, Juan received a, a telegram uh, from the capitol saying report immediately to the air force he was being drafted to play baseball <laughs> which uh, doesn't happen all the time um, and he his first assignment was to try out for a youth team that was going to be playing uh, in a, a, a Caribbean uh, tournament and uh, I'll tell you what happened uh, within 20 this was he when he reported to the San Isidro base of the Air Force. He was welcomed by General Fernando Sanchez, uh, the assistant to the the dictator Trujillo's son, who was in charge of uh, the country's baseball scene. As Marichal was leaving the room, the general presented him with 100 pesos, a huge sum for the time, amounting to about $100. His first assignment was to head for Estadio La Normal to try out for a youth tournament in Mexico Juan actually lived in the clubhouse under the stands for more than a week before making a team that included future major leaguers Manuel Mota and Mateo Alu. Taking his first plane trip to Mexico, Juan won one game and saved another against Puerto Rico to advance to the finals against the home team. There he and his teammates encountered fans with knives and guns sitting directly on top of their dugout. When we went to the bullpen, they showed us the guns, Juan said. We were so scared we couldn't handle the pressure. The Mexicans won. The Dominicans escaped. So after an experience like this, uh, trying out for the major leagues was not a, a life or death experience, to say the least. And uh, with uh, Warren Spahn, he, he grew up in Buffalo, New York, and... His father, um, Edward, a, a kind of frustrated ball player he was 5'7 and just wasn't quite big enough or good enough to make the big time, but had played a lot of, uh, sand-lot of semi-pro baseball. Edward tutored uh, Warren on baseball. Um, he built a mound in the backyard and taught him to, to throw. Um, his big thing was control, not just control the strike zone, but control of himself. Because he said that the guy who pops off a lot is the guy who's insecure (coughs) and people will know that. Juan was a a big high school star in Buffalo uh, and uh, I I think he was a little bit more interested in baseball than studies because he was a 19-year-old junior when the uh, Boston Braves, who were at the time called the Bees, um, signed him. but he was uh, certainly a good student of baseball. He he tore through the minor leagues, at a, uh, a cup of coffee in Boston, and um, Casey Stengel told him to hit Pee Wee Reese with a pitch, and he didn't come close enough, so Casey um, exiled him to Hartford. And subsequently the war started, World War II, and uh, Warren en- enlisted and... Uh, was trained as an engineer went over to Europe on the Queen Mary which was being used uh, for troops and uh, had to really had to fight his way across to Germany one thing he said that kind of struck me about his fellow uh, soldiers he said that was a tough bunch of guys we had people that were let out of prison to go into the service so those were the people I went overseas with and they were tough and rough and I had to fit that mold um, eventually fought in the Battle of the Bulge, uh, sleeping in, in frozen tire tracks, uh, was present at the battle for the bridge over Remhagen. Um, one day he, he walked off, off the bridge and a couple minutes later it, it collapsed, killing dozens of uh, people. He was wounded, he got a Purple Heart. So he had seen uh, the tough side of life in a slightly different way from Juan Marischal. And when he, when he got back, He was not given the rookie treatment um, as a a distinguished and decorated war hero when he won his first game at age 25. Uh, And it was was no particular big deal for him to be playing the majors, because as he said, no one is shooting at me. So you you can start to see, as as the game progresses, two two really fascinating guys with fascinating uh, life histories.
0: Absolutely and just something that if we can touch on with Juan Marichal that you mm-hmm. touch on uh, since you brought up Jackie Robinson and naturally anytime you bring up Jackie Robinson it's going to talk about uh, <coughs> the obvious. everybody knows the racism that he mm-hmm. experienced as a major leaguer yeah. Juan Marichal turned out to be the first Dominican enshrined in the Hall of Fame but he had his own issues putting aside the guns on the dugout from yeah. a prior time but now that he gets to the Giants if you can maybe just talk about what he experienced as a major leaguer with the Giants. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it was a very dysfunctional clubhouse. There were three cliques, the whites, blacks, and Hispanics. And Alvin Dark, the manager, was a, a, a kind of baseball genius. It, all it took was uh, uh, scores and standings and, and statistics. But he, he, was, he was very insensitive, and he would he would tell the Hispanic players, speak English. You know, I, I, I'm trying to put myself in, in, in that position. Let's say I, I was playing in, in uh, Venezuela in the winter and my manager told me, uh, habla espanol, how, how would I feel? So he he, uh, he went through a lot. Um, in spring training, he had to stay in, in separate quarters the way Robinson and, and others did. And uh, he, when they came back on, on a bus to go to Indiana, which was his first stop in the in the ma- in the minors, uh, the other players would would go in a restaurant and bring bring out food to him, or he he'd eat in the back. I mean, he he experienced a lot, but it, he wasn't really uh, he wasn't really in the in the, the maelstrom, the da- daily maelstrom of the Giants' clubhouse, because he he was pitching only every fifth day or every fourth day, and he was able to kind of segment what was happening around him. But, and and still concentrate on, on his job of pitching. So he was aware of it all, but uh, there were other people who were a lot more more bothered, like Orlando Cepeda. Yeah.
0: And then if we could uh, just flip over for a moment to Warren Spahn, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned about Buffalo, where he's from, but he seems to have a, uh, a lot of history with Oklahoma. Yeah. And if you could just touch on that a little yeah. bit.
1: Yeah. When he uh, was in the minors, I mean, when he was in the service uh, he was being trained near Tulsa, and uh, he met a woman named Lorene Southard, who, uh, who was uh, a secretary to an oil uh, executive, and they, they fell in love and, uh, and got married uh, just after he came out of the service. And much as I love Buffalo, when he thought about winters, he, d- he decided that he'd, he'd rather be in Oklahoma, and they, they wound <laughs> up settling down there. And his, he had a, has a son, Greg, who's a, a friend of ours, who uh, who played uh, baseball in, in high school. I think he hit something like 524 in his senior year, later hurt his arm at the University of Oklahoma. But significantly, Warren did not push him the way Edward pushed Warren, and, and that he, he had learned something from that. Uh, but he, he was a fixture in Oklahoma and was in all kinds of Hall of Fames down there.
0: Yeah. His son, Greg, wrote the, uh, a really beautiful forward in your book. So for those of you listening, you're going to have to buy the book to read Greg's beautiful <laughs> forward. Uh, and there's just something I'd like to touch on. I think, I, my guess is there's going to be a lot of questions from the audience, so I'm going to give right. them a chance to, to get into this discussion. But one thing I would just like to touch on that relates to the two of these guys and also brings us to current baseball... A lot of uh, the folks in the clubhouse I know are true lovers of baseball. And as I was reading through the book, in the back you have the box scores as well as the lifetime stats of Warren Spahn and Warren Marischal. And it hit me really a couple weeks ago when uh, Hugh Darvish was pitching the perfect game. Mm-hmm. So here you have, it's not in the book obviously, but you have a Dominican pitcher, guy from Buffalo, Oklahoma, World War II veteran. now you have this. Japanese complete star in the making with the Texas Rangers. He's pitching a perfect game. With two outs in the ninth inning, he loses the perfect game. The manager comes out to take him out of the game. And I I know I'm a little old school, but it got me so upset that this kid can't even get a complete game. So as I'm looking through your stats, in the book I see... Warren Sp- uh, Warren Marischal in his career threw 244 complete games Warren Spahn threw 382 complete games to a- it, it, it's mind boggling yeah. and it, maybe if you could just speak a little bit about either the two of them or what's you're a baseball expert with uh, as a Sports Illustrated writer for decades and uh, I think 13 baseball books or yeah. close to it Uh Maybe if you can just talk about that because it, it, it's what happened in this game and yeah. it's what's happening now in a different way. Fortunately, back in the
1: day, they weren't counting pitches very very closely and they weren't saying, we're going to take you out after 100 pitches the way they do today. They're, they're much too overprotective. Um, I think that as long as a guy is going well and is showing no signs of weakening, uh, dropping his arm or getting his pitches up the, the various... Uh, Signature actions that, that uh, have the bullpen warming up. Why not keep them in? But uh, these days they think they're protecting their arms better. They're not actually building them up strong enough, in my view, to uh, to avoid injury. And plus, you have you now have this this culture with uh, middle relievers and setup men and, and closers, and they they and their agents all have to be satisfied. So it, it's <laughs> changed, but. Um, I always look for complete games, and I, I can't imagine how Darvish felt throwing a, a one-hitter and, and not finishing it. Right. Yeah. It's
0: Now, before we get to questions, just one other question. If you could just kind of take us through, because I guess it comes into play with that point, as this 16-inning game moves along, what each pitcher went through with uh, his fatigue, mm-hmm. uh, physically and mentally.
1: Yeah. Well, um, Spawn wouldn't talk to anyone when he was pitching. The only person he talked to was Lou Burdett, who would give him a, a lit, filterless camel every time he came off the mound. But <laughs> it, Burdett had just been traded to the Cardinals, I believe, so he may have had some other teammate um, who, was, who was feeding him cigarettes. Uh, he, he didn't uh, drink water. That was not a big thing in those days. Um, even in, in the Olympics, they hadn't gotten the idea that you need to be hydrated. So he, he was just sitting there concentrating very fiercely, and Marshall uh, had uh, had a towel around his arm, and he, he was chewing bazooka bubble gum. And when he was in the in the dugout, he was watching Spawn. He really admired him and learned a lot for, from him. So they were they were pretty well wrapped up uh, in the game, and um, people knew something was happening. Um, some of the the Giants relievers and substitute catchers were uh, parked on the left field line on a bench and it was like a wind tunnel in there they were basically just trying to stay warm sometimes the pitchers would get up between innings to throw but again that was just to to stay warm they knew something pretty special was going on And um, there's there's a guy uh, I know from Holyoke, Massachusetts near where we live in Northampton Al Stanek, who was a 19-year-old rookie reliever then, and he was just absolutely uh, gaga by what was going on. Um, you, you knew something really special was was afoot, and the game kind of reflected that. Um, there was one... It, it, in a game like this, there always seemed to be close calls that, that somebody's going to score and win it in uh, nine innings. And uh, the Braves had uh, Norm Larker on second with two outs and Del Crandall at the plate. Uh, Crandall hit a a line drive to center field, which Willie Mays decided to one hop rather than dive for. And at that point, I think everyone in Candlestick Park was saying, well, it's one to nothing. I mean, a a single to center with a guy running on the the pitch with two outs, and it's it's a run. But Mays uh, grabbed the ball very quickly and and made a throw so incredible that even the hardened San Francisco sports writers in the press box were using superlatives, and, and so the game r- remained uh, scoreless. In the ninth inning, Willie McCovey hit one of his patented moonshots uh, over the right field foul pole. The, ump- the umpire, Chris Pellacutis, first base umpire said it was foul. Giants, of course, thought it was fair, and the fans did, but thankfully it was called foul because we got to see this game proceed. Uh, later and later, and you—you um, you had to wonder at some point if they'd be taken out. Um, Alvin Dark asked Marischal, well, "Do you think do you think it's time for you to to leave the game?" He said, "You see that old man out there? He's forty-two. I'm twenty-five. <coughs> as long as he's out there, I'm staying in the game." And uh, Spud wasn't talking to anyone and just kept trudging out there. Um, he he, w- he was a very slow walker. He had a kind of duck walk style. He, he looked older and older as the game <laughs> went on. Marshall was running to the to the mound and back to stay warm. So there was a kind of contrast there. Uh, but they, they were not going to be taken out. Uh, and
0: when Willie Mays hits the home run to win the game...
1: You had to give it away. Sorry, sorry to give away the ending. Yeah. But it
0: happened 50 years ago. You should have yeah. read it already. Uh, what... what uh, what was the reaction uh, on both sides at that yeah. point?
1: Well, there were 15,902 people at candlestick. And the, the people who, who saw the game swore that just about nobody had left. It's 12.31 a.m. now. And Spawn knew as soon as the ball was hit that it was, it was out. and He started duck-walking off. Uh, everyone in the stands stood up to cheer. And I think they were not just cheering for the Giants who had won cheering for both pitchers and probably for themselves for staying there all night. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, it's an interesting thing that Sp- another way that Spawn and Marischal were, um, were united, the next day, uh, Spawn went out to find Marischal and found him in the, uh, the runway between the clubhouses and he advised him, take an extra day off before your next start and he gave him some exercise to do and they both... They both pitched in the, on the fifth day instead of the fourth day. Yeah. Um, people often wonder how they were affected. Spahn had some arm trouble, but he, he finished the season winning 23 games. and So it couldn't have hurt him that much. And Marischal won 25 and was really off to the races the rest of his career. Yeah. Uh, so.
0: 23 games at uh, the age of 42. Yeah, not yeah. That. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so I think... Uh, we can open it up to the floor a little bit now to our <clears throat> baseball lovers. Dale? Just
2: curious, how, how good was Marichal before that year, before that game?
1: Uh, well, he, he was maybe the hottest pitcher in baseball at, at the time of that game. Um, his first year, I think he, he was brought up in, in midseason, and he went 6-2, and two, I think. Then, he, then I think he won 13, then 18, and this was the year that he really became well-known. To everyone in baseball, uh-huh.
3: they had radar guns in those days. Any idea uh, how hard those guys threw? Um,
1: they they were not around 100 miles an hour. They they could throw over 90, but they, it was really the stuff rather than the pure speed. Yes.
2: Well, you, you brought up you know the pitch count you know mm-hmm. debate that happens now, and you know a Tigers fan outside they see see Verlander all the time. Yeah. And even a guy like Verlander who they do a pretty good job of not putting too high of a, a, a mm-hmm. Train on, and 130, 135 is pretty much where he's going to stop. You know, he's never yeah. going to push that very much. So when I hear numbers like 200 or something like that, that that sounds insane to me. Is it? Right. Is it, uh, when I think back <coughs> to the olden days before, I don't know, olden days before five-man sorry. But before five-man yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. five routine stuff like that. Was it a mechanical issue? or I, mean, I like what you said about these guys aren't training their bodies correctly yeah. maybe nowadays, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me how we can go from pitching on two, three days rest and pitching 200 and yeah. or uh, pitches. Well, God, we're pitching two, days, uh, two games with a double header to now kind yeah. of the daintiness of, right. oh, my goodness, he's on four days rest and mm-hmm. I only pitched 80 pitches today. You know? mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't make
1: sense to me. I agree. Um, Tommy John was interviewed by the Times. And he uh, he made the point, you know, we, we let little leaguers throw up to 85 pitches, <laughs> and we're going to hold major leaguers to 100? You know, it's just crazy. And fortunately, Jim Leland, the manager in, in Detroit, uh, has has Verlander figured correctly, and he's not going to pull him out. Uh, sure, 420, four hundred twenty,
2: hundred. But I mean, is it mechanical? Thing? Is it are they throwing the ball hard? I mean, I don't I don't understand. Like, are they is their locations different now? Are their motions different now? Where they're putting more strain on the arms? Because you can see that if they're hitting one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty, these guys do get pretty tired, and their arms are starting to yeah to build a little bit. So, is it a mental thing, or is it yeah. a
1: I, I don't think that they're, they're necessarily throwing any any more dangerously, oh, yeah. because they they have so much videotape. Uh, there's, there's so much study that goes into it, but um, I just think they're they're much too quick to. The uh, uh, National League, you know, the pitcher comes up sure. and they, they may take him out, but it, same thing's happening in the American League. Uh, you have pitchers who are going absolutely lights out, but they have to take them out because they always do for, sure. for a closer. Uh, yeah. That's a sore spot for me. With the Red Sox because of what happened the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're talking as
2: a Tigers fan. We don't have a closer, and they've lost yeah. us three games so far. That's, that's yeah, really, I, I understand that. Yeah. that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that, though, it's also a matter of pacing. Because uh, I was fortunate enough to see Spahn. Mm-hmm. Spahn wasn't throwing hard all the time. Spahn right. was mixing his pitches, and no one was better at that than Martin Marichal. Yeah. So, so yeah. On top of that, one of the reasons they pull the pitches out is because you're paying them millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. not going to take a chance on a yeah. major investment in April. I mean, you yeah. just can't. You know, that's <laughs> why he thought she wouldn't have been in there that long. He wasn't throwing a perfect game. So the manager actually yeah. you know, went a little further than they normally
1: would. One of the differences between pitchers who are good, yeah, good. and pitchers who are really top notch is that what, what they do is they pitch. Uh, they they don't pitch to strike guys out. They pitch the location, and you know if the pitch is low and outside, the guy's probably not going to do much with it anyway. So it, there's a there's a certain difference there. And Spahn and Marshall were definitely guys who pitched the location. Yeah, yeah.
3: When I, when I was a kid a few years ago, <laughs> <laughs> talked about Carl Hubbell yeah. going 18 innings against the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. And he was due to bat at the end of the 18th inning. And then two days later, Terry was going to use him as a relief pitcher. And in the All-Star game on Thursday, uh, uh, McGraw wanted to start him. So that, when I was a kid, they talked about that 18-inning game he pitched. Yeah. And now, he, of course, he went 24 games in a row, and Kane is challenging mm-hmm. that now for the Giants. Yeah, talent. yeah. But that's what they what right. they talked about, and then yeah. probably shut out the Cardinals the second game of the right. doubleheader. Yeah.
1: Well, Hub- Hubble was, uh, <laughs> was some physical specimen because throwing that that screwball, I think that kind long. of thing is going to take a lot out of your arm. I think after he retired, he'd walk around like this. Train, train his could uh, was straighten his wrist up. Not everyone it's could
3: throw it. I mean, right. Melton came up. He won 20, 21 games for the 37 Giants, and he begged Hubble to teach him the mm. Yeah. And Hubble said, to make, and, he, and, he, and he wrecked his arm. Yeah. Melton, never
1: was the same Bond learned to screwball late in his career when it looked like he was he was fading out and it was a pitch that kept him in games and extended his career um, you know they're constantly reinventing themselves Marichal did much the same kind of things um, as they got older they got wiser
3: you mentioned yeah. the, the, the
2: McCovey almost home run and first base on what what else did you find about the umpires in this game
1: um, the, basically, they, they, they just lasted the whole time. <laughs> I'm not sure they got a bathroom break, in you know, those <laughs> you days know, okay. but but they uh, they remembered the game too. I mean, they, even though they're just there to call balls and strikes and fair balls and foul balls and so on, they they could appreciate great baseball. Uh, the whole game, um, I think I think it took four hours. Um, it's that's, that's basically two full games in the amount of time we sometimes spend on one game these days you know, they, there was not a lot of fooling around there were no TV timeouts there was no, the game wasn't being televised in fact um, there, there were none of the, the distractions what to me are distractions the exploding scoreboards and endless promos uh, people standing up in front of you so they can have their placards shown on television the uh, the fans didn't need to be uh, distracted or entertained any other way. I mean, a few of them had probably had transistor radios, but mm-hmm. it was enough to just be in the game. Television hadn't uh, worked its negative magic yeah. uh, on baseball the way it has lately. Yeah.
3: So to the disparity in both their ages, where are they in like
2: the
0: starting rotation? You know, Spawn being forty-two. He already had like a stellar career, but is he their, their ace at this time? Going against Marichal, and where's Marichal? Yeah, in fact, in that rotation. Well, the
1: the Giants had some very good pitchers like Jack Sanford and, and Marichal. I think Marichal was simply taking over the spotlight at this point because he was he was doing so much better than anyone else. And Spawn was still uh, Spawn. You know, he he, uh, he hadn't he re- hadn't really showed slowed down. He'd reinvented himself.
2: So he was the
1: ace of the staff. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, winning twenty three games, he's certainly the most effective pitcher on the staff. Yeah, his, his career kind of came undone the next year, but people are saying it was more his knees than his arm. He would had four or five different surgeries, and uh, with, with that high kick, kind of pounding down on the on the mound, I think it had taken its toll.
2: Was yeah. there any talk about how much longer they would have stayed in the game you in
1: 17th inning and 18th inning? Um, Ma- Marshall, I think, was, was pretty much down to the, to the last uh, inning or two because when Willie Mays came up, he, he said, hit one for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mays said he would. And um, Mays was actually in a slump. He was, he was hitting around 250. He had been booted candlestick and um, hadn't done much in the game. I think he was just trying to make contact. When he, when he hit it out, um, he may have been the most surprised person in <laughs> the park. Yeah. But um, it was, uh, you know, there have been other, of course there have been plenty of other great pitching duels, but I think the combination of the, the old man and the young guy, the lefty righty, the American and the Dominican, mm-hmm. and two great teams, it made it the most unforgettable to me. Yeah. And one of the things that happened, there was a guy named Dave Bush, who uh, was a student at Cal, later became the beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. He was listening to the game, big Giants fan all his life. Uh, And as the game started to to go on and on and on, he started to pull for spawn because for for this old guy to do that well. I suspect there were some people at Candlestick who were starting to change their allegiance as well.
0: And Actually, speaking of these other great game, great, uh, very well-pitched games, I love the way you do that throughout the book, is you, you give summaries of these other, yeah, yeah. these n- nods to these other games. Right. Uh, including one of uh, Babe Ruth.
1: Yeah. He, um, he went 15 innings, I think it was, in the, in the World Series, 1915 uh, or 16. And so did the, the, I think he was pitching against a Dodger pitcher, Sherry Smith, if I remember correctly. They went the whole way. And, and nobody really thought much about it then. A <laughs> you know? uh, uh, few years later in 1920, there was a 26 inning game between the Braves and Dodgers and, and their pitchers went the whole way. One one tie called up on account of the darkness..
0: <laughs> Anyone else from the crowd?
2: Uh, was
1: just wondering when did Spon retire? Did he retire the falling here? Like no, he, he he lasted until sixty uh, six. I think it was. Yeah, wow. And he, he finished his career with the Giants. He and Marischal were on the same team, and uh, yes. McCovey would always kid Spon about, "Hey, my that shot I hit was a home run." <laughs> 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 yeah, it so was some uh, po- poetic uh, justice, in them both winding up as teammates. Of course. Marichal's career had a long way to go when they would often uh, reappear at the Hall of Fame a lot of these immortals loved going back there for the camaraderie and the golf tournament and so on and Spahn was the guy who who held court everybody wanted to hear what he had to say and Marichal was very good about deferring anytime someone asked him about the game he would always defer to Spahn I think he understood that in a way Spahn was, was the winner to just, to have simply gone that far uh, at age 42 but, yeah. and uh, I hope they have some kind of ceremony we have Katie Feeney here for Major League Baseball any idea if they're going to do something uh, on July 2nd
3: right now they're just concentrating on Jackie Robinson so yeah
1: I'll check <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'd be nice there was some ceremony and Spahn died in 2003 I think it was but his son could come back for it and Marischal spends a lot of time in the States it would be
0: nice if they could get together yeah. what did uh, what did Warren Spahn do after his playing days um, he, he was in baseball in, in various
1: different capacities he was the uh, manager of the Tulsa team did very well there um, the Cardinals wanted. To, it was a Cardinal farm team the Cardinals wanted to bring him up as pitching coach but he didn't want to come up unless he was manager so the Cardinals fired him he later acceded to being pitching coach for the Indians when they were really lousy and, and he couldn't get through to some of the younger players. Um, he coached uh, in Japan. Uh, he, he, uh, he would come over, I think in their spring training, and coach the pitchers. <coughs> he, he really appreciated their work ethic. And he, he noted they all had, had short hair, yeah. which he liked, <laughs> like major league pitchers. Um, <laughs>
0: He may, not, he may not have done well today with uh, in the major leagues. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyone else from uh, the clubhouse crowd? Yeah.
2: Uh, referring to the Giants in the mid-60s, they always had trouble beating yeah. the Dodgers. According to Joshua Prager, the Giants were cheating 63-367 with a scoreboard set up similar to the one they had in Edwards Field. Uh-huh. The question is, the fact that they weren't able to win anyway, yeah. is that because of the raucous... Yeah, I, and
1: they—it wasn't a very well-run team. Yeah. Uh, Horace Stoneham, the owner, um, wouldn't wouldn't let Katie's father, Chub Feeney, make the, the deal that you needed to make in uh, let's say in August to bring get that get that one more arm on the team. Uh, Horace Stoneham was was one of these guys who who chose his managers based on whether they were uh, uh, drinking buddies of his. I mean, he <laughs> really had a bad reputation. Um, the Giants won more games than any other National League team in the 60s, but they only won one pennant. And there, there were a lot of close calls and uh, teeth gnashing and so on. Uh, it's not a great team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I read. Yeah. Uh,
3: uh, in 65, uh, Spahn came back and pitched for the Medic, came back and pitched for Casey Stengel again. Yeah. yeah. So he had pitched for him since 1942. Was a yeah. Over his feelings uh, about. Yeah. Pitching for Casey. Yeah, well,
1: he uh, said, I pitched for Casey Stengel before and after he was a genius. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Spahn was supposed to be the pitching coach as well as, as a pitcher, and I, that just never quite worked out. Uh, didn't want to take himself out. You know? <laughs> uh, but it, it, was, it was ironic to see these
0: two old guys reunited again. All right, well, I think what we're going to do is uh, say farewell to our podcast audience. Again, for those of you listening, wherever you may be, the book The Greatest Game Ever Pitched, Juan Marichal, Warren Spahn, and the Pitching Duel of the Century by Jim Kaplan, published by Triumph Books. Go out and get it wherever you are. Thanks so much, Jim. Thank Thank you.